So tonight I'd like to talk about generosity. Usually we talk about generosity at the end, towards the end of the retreat, but I've been inspired lately by how much the practice of generosity can infuse a whole retreat. Um, it's really a precious gift to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the practice. And also for us as teachers to be giving the Dharma wholeheartedly and to have this beautiful exchange of giving and receiving the gift of your practice that we receive and the gift of our own practice. And so I'd like to explore a little bit this evening the ways that we can weave generosity more um, into our days as we go along on retreat and as we go out into the world. The Buddha gave this advice to the layman Tundila, who had just given an incredible banquet of um, food and riches and goods to the Buddha and his followers. And he said, without generosity, it wouldn't be possible to become an enlightened one. He said, generosity is the staircase to heaven, the best path to liberation. It's considered the door for entering perfect peace. And it's this offering of openness rather than contraction, of releasing rather than holding on. And so it's a really powerful antidote to all the difficulties in our world, in our lives, personal and collective. And there are two, two words that we use for generosity. The first is dana that we're more familiar with, and that's the giving out or distributing, the practical aspect. And the other word is kaga, C-A-G-A. And that's more the attitude in the mind, literally of relinquishing, abandoning, releasing of greed, hatred, and delusion. And so together they form a very deep practice, a profound practice of letting go, of not seeking anything in return, of really, rather than what can I get from my practice, what can I give to the practice? What ways can I release? Before I started talking tonight, Shada came up and I said to me, is there anything you need? And I said, no, there's a not, nothing actually that I need, but there's a lot of things that I don't need. <laughs> and so I realized giving those away would really benefit this talk. <laughs> the releasing of the different ways the hindrances can get in the way for me. So it can dispel delusion because it weakens our self-centeredness. It will helps us relinquish that separate sense of self that we've been talking about. And it's a powerful antidote too. Every moment of giving away, of relinquishing, is a moment of releasing aversion or hatred, as well as loosening our grip on desire and wanting. Buddhadasa said, if you can't understand non-self, you can understand it through non-selfishness, that releasing. And another of my teachers, Ayakima, who's now um, deceased, said generosity is the countermeasure that helps us let go of me and mine. 
so that we can think of term, in terms of togetherness, helpfulness, cooperation, and love for each other. And as we've talked about too, the second noble truth, the cause of suffering is clinging, grasping, in some way, as Shada was talking about the other night, resisting our experience. And generosity is the antidote both to the pushing away and to the holding on, the attachment. So what are the ways that we give? What do we give when we're generous? And I'd like to focus more on the ways we do that on retreat rather than in the material world for now. One of the most powerful gifts we can give are the five great gifts that the Buddha taught are the precepts because they give the gift of fearlessness, security, love, respect. Just to have security and freedom from fear is the highest form of dana you can give anyone. And you can give any being. If everyone gave everyone that gift, it would be an amazing world. And it's to honor all life, to share our time and resources out of abundance, out of generosity, to take care with our sexual energy, to respect boundaries, and to honor safety, to have the kind of speech that we use in our inner speech as well as our outer speech be true and useful and kind and appropriate. That would be an amazing thing if we were to keep that precept inside for a whole retreat. And then to develop a clear mind and take care of our bodies. So those are ways that we hold the container of the retreat. And by practicing and training in those, we can take those out into the world with us. And the main form of our practice of generosity on retreat is really our meditation because meditation practice is a form of giving, of actually giving up. We give ourselves kind attention and friendliness, but we also give up, relinquish whatever comes through our six senses. The sounds coming to our ear, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, we let them arise and pass, and we don't hold on. We don't relinquish, we relinquish them. We let them come and go, vanish on their own. We give up distracting thoughts. I find it sometimes a helpful um, um, sort of idea or sense to think of giving away all the distracting, irritating thoughts. You know, have this one, have this one. (laughs) This one could go, you know, here. You can get really generous. giving them all away. And so there's this sense of also of releasing of all the old and difficult ego structures, of releasing the old identities, giving this identity away and that identity away, and getting lighter and lighter and more free. And in releasing, we get more peaceful with things as the way they are. And there's a stability and a safety that grows as a result of that. In our practice with the breath, 
we can receive each breath as a gift, the receiving of the gift of life, of oxygen. And we can release each outbreath, releasing each outbreath, the carbon dioxide. We, so we're exchanging life with all the rest of the universe. Each of us here is breathing in air that's been breathed by others. So there's this beautiful exchange as we give and receive with the breath. As we pay attention to the body, we can give the body the gift of kind and respectful attention. And the same with the mind and with the emotions. Rather than adding or judging or comparing or devaluing, we just give the gift simply of attention, of seeing what's there. The gift of pure presence, even for five minutes, is an amazing and precious thing. Of not needing anything to happen, of not fixing anything, just our pure presence. It's unconditional acceptance that's such a beautiful gift. Of just, this is the capacity I have right now, rather than adding a should. I should be able to do this. Accepting ourselves just as we are. Loving ourselves however we are. Our bodies. So often there are parts of our bodies we don't like or reject. I don't particularly like my feet. But when I think about that, and I, <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but, um, when I think about that and, and, and receive them and accept them, it feels quite different. And there are ways we wall ourselves off from parts of our body that we don't like very much. Imagine if you looked in the mirror with that giving of respect and appreciation rather than this contraction. So it's that spaciousness to release around the contraction and release around fixed beliefs about who or what we think we are, to include all the parts of ourselves rather than excluding. That way we don't need to run from or attack the difficult mind states or to try and fix them. There's this generous openness and even the movements that I'm making is this just releasing of offering up. And we can explore a contracted or frightened mind because there's more space for it. We're offering understanding. I'm here for you. We're saying that to ourselves rather than judging. And we also, through doing this, begin to be able to provide it to others because we're not as stuck in anger or clinging or jealousy or wrong perception as we start to see the truth about ourselves when the space, it's easiest to see what's true about ourselves. And that way, there's more clarity and we're not projecting onto others. So it's this beautiful gift to be present for ourselves in this kind of way, to share the fullness of our being. There's an authenticity and trust, and there's a growing honesty. We're able to be honest with ourselves when we're not afraid. When we begin to see that we're received with generosity rather than judgment, it's easier to see our faults and weaknesses. 
and it's easier to not identify with them. And others feel safe in our present, in our presence when we're able to be honest. And when we're able to be this honest with ourselves, we're also able to offer a peaceful presence to others when there's conflict. And I found for myself, I used to be very afraid when friends or family members got into conflict. But the safer and more grounded and more generous I am towards myself, the more empathy I have for another's pain. And the more I'm able to see the goodness and to speak to that place. When people feel hurt or cornered and unsafe, there's a tendency to strike out, whether it's physically or verbally, or to freeze and contract. And when we feel safe and accepted, there's more space. So if I can give someone the gift of safety, then they're more able to see the whole situation, and so am I. And when we can do that for each other, bridges can happen. We're less afraid of our differences. We're more able to be generous with each other. It's wonderful to offer the gift of respect to someone. Respect to others just as they are. Respect to ourselves just as we are. Someone asked Audrey Hepburn um, what her beauty tips were. This was a magazine many years ago. And she said, for attractive lips, speak words of kindness. For lovely eyes, seek out the good in people. For a slim figure, share your food with the hungry. For poise, walk in the knowledge you never walk alone. If you ever need a helping hand, you'll find one at the end of each of your arms. <laughs> so it's that beautiful offering of respect for each other. And as we start to more deeply be there for ourselves and connect with our own pain and vulnerability, as John was speaking about so beautifully last night, we really get how it is for others. We really understand the truth of the Dharma, of how interconnected we are, and how universal the pain and the suffering is. Another of the beautiful gifts is the gift of forgiveness, ourselves and each other. Often in our culture, we're, we're brought up to punish people to be puni and to punish ourselves when we make, make a mistake. But the trouble with punishment is that punish punishment makes us punishing. All it teaches us, really, is how to punish. And it keeps us from knowing our inherent goodness. Because it perpetuates this belief that we're bad, that we're at fault, that we're inherently not okay. Forgiveness begins to dissolve the walls of separation that we build. It releases and opens the heart, and it decreases the separation between us. One of my close friends, um, some years ago, 
her father, who was a Unitarian minister, um, was killed by a house invader um, in Grenada many years ago. And um, it was devastating for her and for her whole family. And a few years ago, she, someone wrote her a letter, the chaplain from the prison, that the person who killed her father was now incarcerated. And they asked her if she would be willing to take part in a reconciliation process. And at first it was very hard for her because so much pain came up at the thought of this man who had taken her father's life and who had really so devastated her own life. And she went through a lot of difficult and painful feelings in trying to decide how to be with this. And in the end, she decided that she wanted to free her heart. She wanted the possibility, because she'd been practicing the Dharma for many years, to really explore what forgiveness might look like. So she started to correspond with this man, and she sent him pictures of her children who'd never seen their grandfather. And he began to write back, and they developed a correspondence. And finally, she plucked up the courage with her family to go and meet him. And she said it was quite an amazing thing to sit across the table from this person who'd killed her father and to see that this was such a human, this was a human being. And to hear how that act that he'd done as a boy of 16 had so devastated his life. And to have the, the, the ability to receive his being into her heart. It didn't mean that they were going to be friends or, or, you know, that she could forgive what he did, but it meant that she was able to see him as a person and to see that the causes and conditions that led to him being that way um, could happen to anyone. And so it was a very powerful process of not shutting ourselves out of our hearts and not defining ourselves by our action, having the depth of generosity to be able to see the goodness in everyone. So let's just pause for a moment and you can keep your eyes open if you wish or close them if you feel like it. But what might generosity look like to each of us in this moment? It might be giving ourselves to our practice wholeheartedly. Or maybe it's being gentle with ourselves and holding ourselves with care and tenderness for whatever difficult place we might find ourselves in. Maybe it's getting, giving ourselves the gift of not having to get it right. Or maybe it's the gift of humor, of taking ourselves more lightly. What might generosity be like for each of us right now?
can also give ourselves the gift of appreciation. We can notice the moments that were actually hindrance-free. The Buddha didn't just teach to pay attention when the mind was caught in greed or hatred or delusion, but he said to know the mind that has, has no greed or no hate or no delusion to know the mind that's free from those states and to appreciate this is all. This is a moment when my mind is free of doubt. Thank you. (laughs) And to um, really acknowledge and allow those moments. To reflect on our own goodness. To reflect and bring to mind moments of generosity that we've given to each other, to ourselves to bring into our mind times when we've been connected with, with the truth or with kindness. It's really helpful to um, allow those to cultivate our practice um, and allow those to grow. Initially, when I heard the instructions to um, think about or reflect on the times I'd been generous or kind, I couldn't think of a thing. Um, And um, I realized that it wasn't about being good. It was more about or becoming the one who had done something good. It was more simply appreciating the times when I cared about myself or I cared about another, or there was that openness And in doing that, I could connect with what that felt like again, connect with that spaciousness of heart. And it helps keep the doorway open to renew that faith in ourselves. And it gives us the joy and confidence to continue in our practice. And to appreciate the moments of humor is very helpful. Sometimes when I'm lost in a, so what I call an Eeyore moment, for those of you who remember Eeyore. Um, and there's a lot of gloom and sort of despondency and indulgence in it. Um, it helps me to remember the life of Brian. You know, always look on the bright side. <laughs> and I have this little Monty Python script <laughs> internally that brings a lot of joy to my practice. So appreciating our creativity and our humor. Receiving is a gift also. The Buddha said there are two kinds of rare and precious beings, those who are generous and those who are grateful. Gratitude is this joy for the beauty and wonderful things in life. Sometimes it can be hard to receive. We feel we don't deserve it that we have to be perfect or faultless to receive. Or maybe that we, we brush it off, oh, you shouldn't have, and we, it's hard for us to receive from people. But actually, it's a gift that we're giving others to fully receive. It's a gift that we're giving to ourselves to fully receive loving kindness or receive our practice, the benefits of it. Gratitude receives every kind of experience and it supports our meditation and our lives. 
some time ago in um, my sitting group groups, we were exploring appreciation. And um, we, the instruction was that where people were to practice generosity and practice appreciation with their friends and families. And one of the women in the group was a hospital administrator and a single parent and had a very, very busy and exhausting life. And she told this story. She said that she came home one day and her daughter had invited a friend home from school. And she was really tired and she didn't really want to make dinner for these two nine-year-olds and she was feeling grumpy. And then she remembered the generosity practice. So she thought, okay, I'll be generous. So she made a really nice dinner and ended up having a wonderful time with these two young, young people. And at the end of the evening, she felt really grateful that she'd done that. And then she remembered that this other child's mother um, was also going through a very hard time, that the husband had a serious illness and the mother was having to work full time to support the family. And so she sent a little letter back and she said, um, I just wanted to, you to know what a privilege it was having your daughter here tonight. She's such a wonderful kid and I think you're doing a fabulous job of parenting. And she didn't think any more about it. Two days later, she got um, a letter in the mail saying, you made my day. I was having such a hard time. I was in such a place of despair and feeling bad about myself and my parenting. Thank you. And so she felt, oh, this works. <laughs> and so she was further inspired. And she, um, she sent an email to one of her colleagues who did a lot of mentoring. And she said, I just wanted you to know that all the people that you're mentoring, their, um, their work is really changing. And I think they're really turning out into fabulous people and how much we appreciate the mentoring you're doing. And, of course, she got a return email again saying, you made my day. I just felt like I wasn't sure why I was doing it. And, and it just, um, and so she felt wonderful too. And she saw the beauty of just this giving and receiving that we can, um, that we don't often take time to do for each other. So it's a beautiful practice. And, um, Another part of the same group of people was um, an older man who had gone out to lunch with a, with a friend and a colleague he hadn't seen for some time, but a, a good old friend. And during the lunch, he started telling this man how much he appreciated him and for, all the, for their friendship over the years and for the different qualities he liked about him. And he said, all of a sudden, his friend's eyes started to tear. And then he said, mine started to tear. And he said, then it was too much. <laughs> but he said he hadn't realized until that moment what it could actually feel like to feel love for this person. And so to take the opportunity to do that. So just close your eyes for a moment. And bring into your awareness someone in your life that you love and respect. Perhaps who's been kind to you 
And imagine saying them to them, saying their name. I really appreciate you for... Connect with the qualities you appreciate them for. I really appreciate you for. I'm so grateful to you for. And allow yourself to take that in, into your body, your mind, your heart. And have a sense of them taking that in. And now, imagine that they are saying your name, and they're saying to you, your name, I'm so grateful to you for, I really appreciate your, I love this about you. And allow yourself to take that in to your body, mind, heart. It's a beautiful thing to appreciate ourselves and each other in this way. So much of our news media focuses on the horrible things people do to each other, as though that's all that's happening. But there is so much kindness in the world. We did another exercise where we, in our group, where we went out for the week and we were to um, notice our generosity and to practice five unscheduled acts of generosity. (laughs) And to just notice how generosity was for us during the week. And I noticed some interesting things. I noticed at the time that I did this, I was still being a physician. And I noticed that there were many times during the day when I said kind things or touched people in a kind way, that I wasn't really um, acknowledging or being completely present for. And that when I started to really be present for the kindness that I was giving and offering, I actually received people's appreciation. And that before, I was not really acknowledging the appreciation I was getting back. And when I started to do that, There was an equality that happened. There was a love that was exchanged. 
and a meeting of two beings. Um, so that there was a more of a flow between giving and receiving. And that um, it, was such, it made such a difference to me to see how I was missing on the receiving and the effect it had when I did receive. So that was one thing. The other thing I noticed was all the ways I wasn't generous. How when I was in a hurry, I didn't let people move into my lane of traffic because I wanted to get through the light first. (laughs) Things like that. Or I noticed in my home that when I took the lid off the box of cookies that my family liked to make, I would take the biggest one. And I noticed that we were all doing this. <laughs> so <laughs> as, the weeks, as the week progressed, the cookies were getting smaller. <laughs> but each time, I would always take the biggest one, <laughs> or the one with the most chocolate chips, or the one that was the least burnt. <laughs> but it was fascinating just to see the, the, how quickly the greed came in when there was no mindfulness, or even when there was mindfulness. <laughs> I regret it didn't stop me. (laughs) But we did have some laughs about it when we discussed it later. (laughs) The one tiny burnt cookie that was left. (laughs) So, um, the Buddha saw that there were many ways of giving. And that there are mixed motivations when we give. We can give Um, from fear. We can give out of tradition. This is the tradition to give, to offer. We can give with a hope of gain. We can give because we want to look good. We can give out of the expectation of getting something back in return, whether it's of getting merit or um, getting recognition or getting someone to give us something back. Or we can give simply because it brings us joy. All of it's valuable, but the Buddha talked about the degrees of merit that came from giving, and that um, a wise person gives in five ways, out of faith, with respect, at the right time, generously, and without denigrating the other. And that's a really beautiful piece. It's that not making any difference between giver and receiver. And it's letting go of any attachment to outcome. It's just giving freely. Sometimes that means we may feel hurt if our gift isn't received the way we'd hoped it to be. And so that's a practice when that happens, to notice. It's a work in progress. The Buddha taught about beggarly giving, when you're giving something that you don't really want anymore. Friendly giving, when it's something you value, but you have enough. And then kingly giving, and there are many stages in between, where you give everything. And in the suttas, and in the Jataka tales, there are many stories of the Buddha in past lives giving his body or giving his whole being. And there are other stories of, um, of people giving, um, giving away their families and all their belongings. And um, this is a, 
a piece about the um, merits of giving. This is to one of the, there was a Brahmin called the Lama, and he gave such great alms offerings as this, 84,000 bowls of gold filled with silver, 84,000 bowls of silver filled with gold, 84,000 bronze bowls filled with bullion, 84,000 elephants, chariots, milch cows, maidens, and, and couches. <laughs> And uh, many millions of fine cloths, and on and on, and indescribable amounts of food, bedding, etc., etc. And so, as great as that was, it would be even more fruitful if he would have fed a single person possessed of right view. And even more fruitful if he'd given to the Buddha and the Sangha. And even more fruitful still if he'd gone for refuge and taken the five precepts. And it goes on to say, and as great as all this might be, it would be even more fruitful if one developed a mind of loving kindness, even for the time it takes to pull a cow's udder. And as great as all this might be, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it would be even more fruitful still if one, if one would develop the perception of impermanence just for the time it takes to snap one's fingers. And so the gift of our practice is incalculable. The gift of liberating our minds from greed, hatred, and delusion is incalculable. One of the, um, another householder, Visaka, who gave frequently to the Buddha and his, um, his um, disciples, followers, was asked why she gave, what she thought the benefits of her great generosity would be. And she said she took such delight in seeing their awakening. And when joy arose in her mind, then her body relaxed. And when her body relaxed, there was a sense of ease, and that helped her mind to become concentrated. And that developed the spiritual faculties and the faculties of enlightenment. And when that happened, freedom came. And so she saw her dedication to the practice as an integral part of her generosity. So what are some of the blocks to generosity. It isn't so hard to be generous and open. One of the biggest blocks is a sense of inner poverty, and that could be a scarcity or inner poverty of power, of love, of appreciation, of possessions, of being seen. It's some way that we don't feel enough or we haven't enough, and so we're afraid to let go, to release. And there's a basic sense of lack. And this comes really from this way we construct a self out of all the different um, thoughts and feelings and actions. And that, um, as Shada was talking about the other night, we get attached to these views of ourselves. And because we're attached to this sense of self, and we're deluded into thinking that we have a separate reality, 
a lot of anxiety comes um, from this trying to hold on to something that isn't going to last, that isn't durable. If we strip away all those, if we peel them all the way, there isn't a little core me. And even the scientists have discovered there's nobody here that's in charge. There's multi-neuronal pathways, not one guy or girl in there who's in charge. And so this underlying lack of a sense of a solid self makes us feel ungrounded and insecure. And it, it makes us want to hold on to me and mine very tightly. And it's also a collective anxiety. There's a collective sense of separation from the world and from the environment. And we get further and further alienated, and we respond by trying to acquire, acquire personally and acquire collectively. Or we see others as responsible for the lack, when really it's a spiritual lack, not a lack of possession. And when we see others as responsible for the lack, then we have to defend or attack. Or we get confused about the meaning of life. And the extent of suffering that's caused in our world by greed and hatred and delusion, all of which are mechanisms to try and fill in this lack, is really out of control in the world right now. And all those years ago, the Buddha saw this. He says, this is from the Diga Nikaya, from the not giving of property to the needy, poverty became rife. From the growth of poverty, the taking of what was not given increased. From the increase of theft, the use of weapons increased. From the increased use of weapons, the taking of life increased. And from the taking of life, people's lifespan decreased and their beauty decreased. But the causes of fear and aggression start to dissolve by themselves when we move past this poverty of holding on and holding back. And that's what our practice is here. How can we learn to trust this myster- the, the mysterious reality that lies beyond the narrow confines of this ego, these ego structures. Trust it enough that we can release into it. And one of the ways is our mindfulness, our mindfulness practice. To notice our tendency to hold on to ourselves continuously and to notice this continual process of self-centered thought and self-centered creating of self. It's as though by recognizing, knowing when greed and hatred and delusion arise, that's knowing them but not owning or identifying with them, we're offering up our greed or our hatred and delusion to the fires of transformation, if you will. So when these difficult forces arise, it's a chance to offer them up. There's this much greed here right now. There's this much rage here right now. We're offering it up. We're not contracted around it. There's a movement where it can be transformed, released. 
So we're less likely to act from a place of lack by trying to fill in or defend when we can transform and acknowledge these powerful forces. We're opening rather than contracting around. That's why generosity is such a powerful antidote to holding on and grasping. When we stop running away from the sense of lack, we can allow it to transform and it can become a source of creativity. The word shunyata for our emptiness, um, the word shu is, also means swollen, swollen with possibility. So rather than feeling that we have to keep defending this sense of groundlessness, to be with it as best we can and allow it to move into a sense of fullness, potential of not knowing. So it's a gift to release that grasping and holding on. So just take a moment Just close your eyes again for a moment. And one of the things that helps us release is to receive love and to receive kindness. And so perhaps have a sense of people that have been kind to you in your life. as though you could receive their wishes for your well-being. Have a sense of the teachers in your life, mentors, people whose generosity, kindness is unconditional. And have a sense of them wishing you the deepest well-being and freedom Their wish for you is your liberation. And as though these wishes could radiate down upon you, towards you, and you could completely receive them into your being. This wish for your happiness and liberation. And in this place of receiving, notice if there's any grasping or holding in the body. You don't have to know what you're holding on to, doesn't matter. It's not relevant whether you feel you deserve this beautiful energy or not to notice the places of holding or grasping and to the extent that you can allow release. So this energy of releasing can move through, not separate 
from life. Notice if there's any grasping or holding around the breath. Receiving each breath, the breath flowing through. Any grasping or holding in the mind, softening the mind open, spacious, releasing, relinquishing. This giving and receiving fully counteracts the basic lack, brings us into contact with this profound interconnectedness. We can recognize then this inherent emptiness of any distinction between giver and receiver. You can allow your eyes to open if you like. And as this understanding grows, we start to see that there's no possessions really. There's no getting, no giving, no receiving. There's just the spaciousness that allows an unfolding to flow through. And that it's a delusion that we're not enough. So some ways to practice generosity while we're here. One of the beautiful ways is our work meditation. It's a beautiful training in generosity practice. Sometimes our motivation is pure. We really feel this exchange and giving. And sometimes we get lost in aversion at the task while we're giving. And we lose connection with um, with the generosity part of it. Um, I was um, sitting a month-long retreat here um, a few years ago, and my job was doing the laundry. And the first week that the laundry, everyone's, everyone's laundry, the first week, everybody brought every item of clothing that they possibly had, including their fleece jackets and their pants and all this stuff. And I'm British, and I wash my fleece jacket once a year if I'm lucky. <laughs> And so there was this huge mound of laundry. And so this fit of aversion came over me, and a lot of complaining <laughs> was happening in my head. And then I started noticing this attitude of ill will <laughs> that I had as I was doing it. I really was present with it and watching it. And then after a while, um, as I was beginning to fold the laundry, I found myself saying, as I picked up a little tiny T-shirt, May this small woman be blessed. And then, and then, may this large man be blessed. 
And so I was going through folding the laundry in this way, and it was really a delight. And then the next day when I saw people wearing these things, it was so much fun. I really enjoyed um, people going, oh, they're all going around wearing my blessings. <laughs> but it started off really needing to own and look at the aversion and the ill will from the task, um, and to be generous towards myself while that was happening. So to really explore the work meditation, it's a great practice to notice that kind of thing. And Pema Chodron has four, four phrases that I like. It's stop, notice, appreciate, and share. So when you're in the middle of something, some emotion, it could be joy or it could be pain, whatever it is, you stop and you notice what it is. And then you appreciate. So if it's joy, you appreciate it. And then you make the intention to share that. May everyone experience joy today. If it's a very difficult emotion, you stop and you notice and you appreciate yourself for being with it. And then you make the intention that everyone else who's experienced that kind of suffering in that moment be free from suffering. And so you're sharing your wishes for their freedom and liberation. So it's stop, notice, appreciate, and share. So generosity is really a symbolic relinquishing of everything outer material attachments, and inner attachments, our habits, our preferences, our ideas, our beliefs. It's a symbolic letting go of control, of being able to receive what's given. Maybe we don't like the room we're given, or, the, or the, maybe there's somebody in the room next door who's snoring, or whatever it is. And so we can say as we get up in the morning, may whatever I receive today be enough. May I give the gift of happiness to myself and everyone else today. May I give myself fully to my practice today. Not as a pushing way, but in whatever way would bring me happiness, may I give myself to my practice. So we're receiving each moment of life just as it is. We're trusting the unfolding. Our generosity practice deepens as our mindfulness grows. It's like a muscle. And this is um, from Andrew Olensky. In a profoundly interdependent world, generosity is fundamental to the entire economy of life. Even the simplest biological function involves receiving something from others, nutrients, oxygen, life, processing it in some unique way, and then passing it on to all other members of the matrix of life. We all do this whether we're aware of it or not. The practice of giving becomes perfected when we align ourselves very deeply with this truth. By consciously and mindfully offering everything we do or say, even everything we think, as an act of universal generosity.
So it's that realizing of nothing to hold on to, no giver, no receiver, no gift really, just things rearranging themselves. We give to help free ourselves. We give to help free each other. And it's a beautiful practice. I'd like to end with this um, from Joan Chichester. She says, try saying this silently to everyone and everything that you see for 30 days. I wish you happiness now and whatever will bring you happiness in the future. That's all. I wish you happiness now and whatever will bring you happiness in the future. And then she goes on, if we set it to the sky, we'd have to stop polluting it. If we said it when we looked at ponds and lakes and streams, we'd have to stop using them as garbage dumps. If we said it to small children, we'd have to stop abusing them, even in the name of training. If we said it to everyone, to all people, we'd have to stop stoking the fires of enmity around us. Beauty and human warmth would take root in us. The world would change. So I wish you happiness now and whatever will bring you happiness in the future. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.